flappadakplasticmeetingradio.fm. Jennifer Louise Garcia here in the house, in the hizzy, on Some Call Me Tim. I usually have you look deep into the eyes of Sparkle Jesus behind you. And the first question I ask is, do you believe in Jesus? He was a guy. He was a guy. Yeah. All right. Not the son of God. 
discuss. I mean, the real question is, did he really rise on the, th the third day, right? Well, I mean, so you believe he was a guy. He, he existed. He's a guy who A existed. source of inspiration for so many. And, right? and he was a real guy. Yeah. But you don't think that, like, he was imbued with magical powers from God and mm -hmm. that uh, he did a bunch of miracles? Miracles? You believe in miracles? I, I do believe in miracles. All right. I'm not sure water into wine miracles, okay, but you okay. know. Yeah. But I try to keep an open mind. All right. So Jesus was a guy, not necessarily imbued with magical powers, but definitely was a good speaker, wrote some things, said some cool stuff. I would agree with that. All right. I'm not against him. Definitely okay, not. Cool. Yeah, Jesus is a cool guy. I have a cross tattoo on me. I used to believe really hard in Jesus, like N for real dudes. I, I hear that you're very knowledgeable. <laughs> I went to Christian school for like kindergarten through eighth grade, and then in high school I was a like a summer camp counselor, and I was all about you know like Jesus and praying and singing songs to God and all that stuff. So, yeah, I've I've got a lot of biblical knowledge. I was saved at one time in my early twenties. All right. This what they say is once saved, always saved. But Absolutely. that again is up for debate. Uh, what uh, I, yeah, so I you fully intend on burning in hell. It's so fine. You, but, you, but you asked the Lord Jesus Christ to be in your heart and keep you safe from hell. At one point, yeah. All right. Me too. Um, twinsies. Yeah. <laughs> um, I was married to someone who was raised in the church and extremely knowledgeable about theology. And um, he was very manipulative, so manipulative that I had to tell myself as I got a divorce that, sorry, Lord, I'm going to hell, and yeah. I'm okay with it. And because there's tons of manipulation, um, like spiritual abuse, I guess, to the point where I was an anti-theist for 10 years. Uh, I was going to say spiritual abuse. Mm -hmm. So were you told that you aren't good enough? Yeah, that the people that I loved, hard yeah, the people that I loved were going to burn in hell. Ooh, um, because they hadn't accepted Jesus Christ their Lord and Savior. Right, and just like most abusers, they try to isolate you to gain control. Oh. So it's kind of like don't walk into th in the world, you know, kind of. There's parts of the Bible he could pick and choose from. How long were you married for? Four years, seven months. Wow. Two days. <laughs> <laughs> you got it down, girl. <laughs> I was married, too, for a while. Yeah, that's <laughs> but special but um di do you see any positive affects from that time that you spent deep in religion no i mean not i i feel like it was a part of my journey mm. and it um was important to see how the other half lived i guess <laughs> yeah get to be deep in a w were you like uh what was the particular sect of Christianity that you Oh, Calvary to. Chapel, so it was a fundamental oh. Christian. And it was a big church. Uh, it had started out small. Um, the pastor was a biker at one point, and it was a small little church when I joined, but right when I joined, like I would say three months later, they uh, had a huge change, and it was just a massive church all of a sudden. Huh. So yeah. Because I've heard of Calvary. Oh yeah, they're everywhere. So it's like a... It's like the strip mall of <laughs> Jesus. It strip certainly mall looks like it from the outside, sure. But, I mean, um, it's like any church. You're going to find a lot of good. And I mean, I don't really believe in good and bad people. 
I believe in the concept of good and evil, but I try not to say, oh, that person's good, that person's bad. But there are, I mean, criminal minds, you know, can be found at church. Absolutely. Every church. Yeah, well, I mean, I guess if you look at the cross-section of all people, that cross-section is still going to exist in whatever group that you subscribe to. And they might be reformed, you know, we don't know. But yeah, for 10 years following, I was divorced in 2007 and 10 years. Yeah. July. Uh, June. Oh. Yeah. No, uh, end of, it was actually, I left them at the very end of May. Because our, actually right before our seventh year wedding anniversary is where, when I jumped ship. Yeah. Yeah. He wasn't Christian, though. He was just um, a person. (laughs) But we both were raised really religiously, so. Yeah. It was hard to think of divorce because I was like, my parents are still married and his parents were married forever till his father died. So like having those patterns in front of us and then not being able to sort of follow through on them, I felt a large, there was a large guilt there for a while. And it wasn't that, and people are like, later after, they were like, he's like, you, he accused me through other people of cheating on him. I was like, I never cheated on you. I never did, I wasn't my thing. Like I, I disappear before I'm going to do that, you know, because right. I don't want to feel that sort of guilty thing. Although there's a weird thing in the Bible where it says if you've lusted in your heart, then you've already done it, which I feel like is a really fun way to let Christians cheat. Because if you've already lusted in your heart and you've already committed the sin, well, you might as well do the act. Well, you might as well. You might as well because you, you already <laughs> sinned against God. You're going to ask for forgiveness anyway. So you might as well just do the whole deed. Why just lust in your heart? Why not just really lust? Well, it's really interesting. It's like someone was telli- telling me about Carl Jung's, Jung's uh, philosophy of the shadow self. And um, because I haven't read much of him, I, I don't want to muck it up. But what I will say is what I took from, the com- from this really great conversation is that a lot of people were raised with these values. And when when in our adult life, whether under the influence or not, we make decisions we would call mistakes. Um, under the influence of what? Anything. Drugs. Oh, okay. I was going to say, like, Jesus? Alcohol. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Drugs? Alcohol? Or Jesus? Jesus. Uh, you know, um, no, not Jesus, but really those decisions you make that you regret in the morning. Right. Oh, I hooked up with so-and-so. I regret that. I was drunk. Or, hey, um, you know, I, I'm shouting out my b- abortion, not whatever <laughs> yeah I said a not joke okay <laughs> what I will say is like what if people just entertain the idea that some of these decisions you might just forgive yourself and actually would have made and it's not necessarily a bad thing it's kind of like having a, like a whole like a more rounded approach to who you are instead of trying so hard to maintain like you're a holy good person right right just give yourself that space to explore uh, other decisions that aren't um, as conventional and approved through our society. Well, and back to abortion. Like, every abortion I've had, I consider a good thing. If I had, so if I had a 20, let's see, I had an abortion in 1995. So, uh, I would have a 24-year-old child right now. Mm-hmm. If I would have had 
that baby, I would have a 24 year old. Okay, no, that's a problem. And there was, I would, if I hadn't, if I hadn't had my second abortion, I would have a, a six year old right now. And I don't think that would be good either. I don't think that <laughs> I would, I don't think that I've been in a place to be an effective and non evil mom. I don't so think anyone is. No. <laughs> <laughs> you but know. like when people when people who are from a really religious background say, Oh, you've had an abortion, you're that's evil, you're a sinner. It's like not really, because in from my perspective, if I would have gone through with those pregnancies, that would have been more of an evil act. Right. And and and, and that's your total uh, right to decide that and but it's a process probably very internal right yeah, yeah and and so back in those days not everyone was shouting out their abortions what I actually think is really great and empowering and important you know yeah um but yeah I think there's this idea that people have to make good decisions all the time and just disavow any decision that might seem bad or mm. different and um you know, it's worth considering that there's a part of yourself, like the shadow self or whatever. I could be getting this all wrong, but in the context of this conversation that I had had, um, it, it was okay to entertain ideas um, and decisions that um, are a part of you that might not be the best. Like, I'm an asshole sometimes. Yeah, you I'm know I'm what I mean? Asshole. So, yeah. Like, I people don't I realize it, but I realized that I stopped drinking for a good amount of time, and it was so strange because I expected to have all of these sort of different voices and feelings in front of me, and like I, I didn't. I'm the same person, and I still do and say stupid, embarrassing <laughs> things. Just now, I remember it. Like I remember <laughs> all of it. So I'm having to take more responsibility for my choices as opposed to what I was doing in the past, which was like, well, if I don't remember it, it didn't really happen, did it? Right. Because I don't remember. So I wouldn't necessarily feel guilt or shame over choices because I didn't remember them anyway. Yeah. And then I'd sort of write it off like, oh, whatever. It doesn't doesn't matter. I was drunk. But I learned in my sobriety that even when I've those choices have affected me in other ways because other people are seeing those choices and they remember them. Right. <laughs> and so I mean, that's certainly like part of identity is like how other people see us. But I also think it's super important to forgive yourself and really not give a shit. Right. Um, yeah. Most times. And alcohol makes me not give a shit. But now I'm I'm really trying to to back off the booze because having a little sobriety is is being like, wow, I feel so much better. Like Yeah. Like my whole body is happy. So well, that's great. Yeah. But I and I miss it. I drank a little bit this week because I allowed myself to. And it wasn't as fun as I remember it. Aww. So I don't know. I don't know. You're don't doing know. it wrong. No. I'm doing it wrong. I'm a negative influence. No, no, no. I mean, no. <laughs> we'll, we'll see. It's just that, I, I mean, I'll see when I decide, if I decide to really, to, to go for it. But it'll have to be on a night where there's no comedy and I'm just drinking to drink and not. But then I'm like, well, why do I want to do that? Why do I need to feel that feeling of like I'm disappearing? Like, what's behind that? Right. So. Well, I mean, it's also important to, like, discover yourself, right? And so I think um, I was seven years sober. Wow. Um, no sex, no dating, sober. Wow. Yeah. I was thinking about going celibate right now, actually. So I was thinking about 
doing that for a while. <laughs> oh my god. I know. No, well, I just it's a thing where it's like a cleanse. I yeah, I don't <laughs> exactly. It's like a cleanse and I don't feel like I I don't want to feel the need of feeling like I have to be with someone else in order to be complete. Absolutely. Oh my goodness. Yeah, I I agree with that so wholeheartedly because I think that um especially I'm still trying to find my way on that because I just feel like I can genuinely love people better outside of relationships. I and agree it's with that more too. important to me. I think the hardest thing for me to, um, especially around Valentine's Day this year, uh, come to terms with is, well, I love all these people. And one day they're going to like meet someone and then do this whole traditional bye off into the sunset. Right where they're not really happy, no. <laughs> you know, um, but, you know, it's, it's not every uh, relationship that involves sex is, are the important ones. Sure. In fact, it's quite the opposite for me. So that was, that those seven years were super important because I was able to look back at them and I was really able to have like an anchoring point in my life. Well, and it's good, I mean, it's one of those things, too, where when you're in a relationship, and especially as a woman, people always bring up the Bechdel test. Like, can you? So, when I, when I was married, or when I, I've, 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 I've been in a re another relationship for seven years, and we're, we're working on finding a routine and what's going on right now, but we're working it out, or I don't know what we're doing, but it doesn't matter. But uh, it does, but it doesn't. But whenever anybody comes up to me, it's usually like the second sentence out of their mouth. How's your boyfriend? Or it used to be, how's your husband? Like, so it isn't about, so like every relationship that I've had, I've sort of been identified through that relationship. Like, that's a, it becomes a huge part of my identity is that relationship. And other people view me as that relationship rather than as myself. And it can be so powerful and overwhelming. And what I feel is like at first, um, you know, let's say you're having a huge period of um, being a singleton and you are a free spirit, and that's why people fall for you, but then they really can't help but put you into a box just by nature of relationships in general. Yeah. Like, isn't this why you loved me in the first place? Right, <laughs> right, right. That happened with my really ex-husband. Yeah. I was a very free spirit, and we were together for a long time, and then he started like hating all the things I did. Like he'd be like, "Why do you go out and sing karaoke all the time?" And I was like, "Cause I need stage time. Like I, I need just to need be the center of attention." Hello, the yeah. mic in my hand. Yes. Yeah. Get your fix. Exactly. And that was before I did comedy. So my ex-husband would not have liked me doing comedy at all. He would have, if he didn't like me singing karaoke, certainly wasn't gonna like the comedy. So I kind of got out of that at the point where. Actually, when I started imagining him dying, like I was <laughs> having fantasies about him dying, Aww. like going off of, and I was like, oh, this would make my life so much easier if he just wasn't around anymore. And then when I started having those thoughts, I was like, I need to leave this guy. And it's I time. can do that. <laughs> like, and it just needed to happen. And he looked back, and now he's married again and has two beautiful children, and I was never going to have kids for him. And it's, he says that me leaving him was the best thing that ever happened for both of us. And I 100% believe that. And at the time, it probably didn't feel no, like that at, at all. At the time, it was 
really hard for both of us. Yeah. It was hard for me because I, I left um, a lot of money. I left a house that we owned, and I left a lot. He was a wealthy man. And I, I was like, you know what? And that was the thing that made me stay in the relationship probably the extra year. Is I was like, I can't live without him. I can't afford to live without him. And then I was like, once you imagine your partner dying, it's kind of rough. It might be overdue. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, uh, that's the thing about being comfortable. I have these theories about being comfortable. On occasion, I imagine, or I, I like to think that one day I'll be able to fantasize about having my own home and owning a couple of cats. Yay, cats! Um, yay, cats! Um, but... I really believe like the greatest growth you can give yourself is when you're in the midst of change. Whoa. When you embrace that chaos and you can breathe through it and then welcome it. Um, I'm balls deep in the abyss. It feels fine. Yeah. Well, there's, um, it's, uh, I used to read a lot of tarot cards and there are some, whenever the devil comes up or whenever death comes up or whenever the tower comes up, they seem very scary because the tower's like, everything's falling apart and you're falling off this tower and everything's breaking. But that means that change. change. Yeah. And the same thing with death. Death doesn't mean death. It means death of something and change and growth yeah. and a birth. And so it isn't necessarily terrible. I think the worst card in the tarot deck is the hanged man when he's upside down because you're in a place of powerlessness hmm. where you're not feeling like you have options to change. Because you're you're in this hanging position where you're sort of stuck and not able to in get down rut. and make yeah in a rut exactly. What about uh, nine of swords? I remember that one being kind of rough. Well, although nine because um, nine is the is almost the end of a journey, so ten would be the completion of a large journey, whereas nine is like almost there. But then swords are also. Um, like an air, a fire sign. So it's about like, and what is, I'm trying to remember, tell me, what, what do you think about Nine of Swords? I remember that I owned um, a tarot car, uh, some tarot cards. I did some reading for party fav, like part like a party favor. Yeah. But um, to be honest, like I got good at it and occasionally I kind of spook myself. Ooh. Ooh. But I'm not terribly um, suspicious, but I just know that the artistry on the tarot cards were beautiful. Yeah. And when the Nine of Swords came up, it was always seemingly something um, scary or negative, and the visual were just these Nine Swords sticking into a dead body. Ooh. <laughs> really? Well, that's about, yeah. I think that it's about self-sacrifice to get to the end of your journey, because 10 is means that you've brought something to fruition, and especially if it's from a place of passion, which are swords. Uh, because it represents fire. Fear and anxiety. Mm. Oh, yeah. You have a lot of fear and anxiety? Um, no. Good. I used to, and I try not to make decisions out of fear. Oh, that's pathetic. Not making decisions out of fear. Got to kind of put that in my brain. Well, <coughs> I went through a lot, so I, I do have post-traumatic stress oh. uh, disorder. Actually, it's CPTS <laughs> CPTSD which is complex post-traumatic stress. Um, if you would have met me before I did comedy, I would um, have been riddled with a lot of symptoms, mm. and I would have had tremendous social anxiety. Um, 
working was a huge coping mechanism for me. And so I just was doing the Bay Area uh, two jobs and just coming home. Yeah, just work, 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 because yeah. you throw yourself into something. I mean, you don't necessarily have to think about yourself if you're focusing on these external right. projects, like a job, jobs. But um, comedy has really helped me recover my life and minimize my uh, symptoms without, um, and I've, I've done some therapy and a lot of research and about the origin of where I've gotten this PTSD and stuff. Um, but it was really when I decided that I was going to chase my happiness, uh, you know, and it was really a desperate, depressive time when I started comedy. Um, but then it became like this beautiful, beautiful thing that was just every time I get on the mic, I felt like that was like a, a visual cue for me for my life being reclaimed. All right. And you have a you have a thing coming up. You have comedy church that you're running. What's going on? Oh, it is true. Um, well, it turns out you don't have to register with the state to start a church. Whoa! So I've started a church. It's called Vicarious Traumas um, Church of Comedy. Vicarious Traumas Church of Comedy. Yes. Can people find you online? Um, the online presence is going to kick off April Fool's. Fantastic. And it's not an April Fool's. It's real. That's what they yeah. – <laughs> it's really – it's like a faith thing. Sure. <laughs> it's like whatever you believe. <laughs> so are you going to have speakers that are going to be comedians? Oh, ab I, w I mean, I hope so. Um, absolutely. I have a number of people that are interested in contributing to content, and I want to hear people's stories because when I talk to them privately, comedy has changed a lot of people's lives yeah. for the better and yeah. really helped them and um, – you know, there's like a redemption that happens when you have a good set. And that feeling of identity when people are surrounding you laughing, but in a good way. Sure. I mean, that's really rewarding. They're not laughing at me. They're laughing with me. because And because I've, I've somehow cultivated that impetus. It's not that, like, they're laughing at me because I'm stupid or did something weird. It's me asking for the attention and then them reciprocating. Yeah, absolutely. I think it's important. Well, when I started comedy, I, I How many years ago did you start? <laughs> I started uh, last summer. Oh, okay. So, so I'm, not even I'm on my eighth month, I think. All right. But I was doing 26 open mics a month and traveling three to four towns a week. Wow, okay. So whereas um, – and I actually started in Reno – like oh seven years, seven or eight years ago. Wow! But just a couple, a couple times. Did you know John Gallagher from back there in the day? Sounds very familiar. John Gallagher lives here now. No way. Yeah, but he came from he came from Reno. He's a great comic. He uh, used to run the Tuesday night at OMG. I don't think he does anymore. But he was around Mutiny Radio quite a bit. He's a great comic. Really, really funny. And he's from uh, Reno. He's from Reno. Yeah. Years and years ago, so you might have known him from that scene. Well, I'm sure I've seen him. So a lot has changed. There is when I when when I was doing comedy, it was a place called the Waterfall, and now it's called the Library, oh. um, which is just a funny name for a bar. Yeah, I go to the library. I like the when they call a bar the office, so that <laughs> um, so that men or anybody can say, "Oh, I'm late at the I'm staying late at the office," and it's so true. And it sounds it's so true, and it sounds yeah, yeah staying late at the office. So I. I had started a long time ago, however, um, I went through um, a domestic violence situation. Mm -hmm. I was actually a 
um, criminal justice major and before I had entered into this relationship. So shortly after my seven years of being single, I had just met the wrong one and I was completely naive. Uh. So um, after seven years of celibacy, you found this person, you threw yourself into a marriage. <laughs> well, he was losing his spot and I said, well, I have a four bedroom, two bath, come stay with me. Oh. And then when it wasn't working out, I was like, you know what? We can still date, but this isn't really working out. And that's when kind of things took a turn for the horrific. And I will say horrific. So um, I know, but the great thing is is that I survived. You were still providing him a place to live? Oh, no. I just left my apartment, like surrendered the apartment, left my apartment, drove to California. Wow. Yeah. It was very serious. Wow. Yeah. So... I had broken bones over it. Whoa. Yeah. Whoa. Wow. That's, and so you just said, I'm out of here. Yeah. Uh, But it was so much harder than that. Did your parents trust you? Yes. But here's the thing. It is, it was so much harder than I thought to leave. And part of that was because what people can't really, well, a lot of people don't understand that when people commit um, violence against you, especially repeatedly and viciously, um, that the victim's brain re- rewires to a primal state mm. and where it's fight, flight, freeze, or fawn, which are the survival mechanisms. And so um, y- your mind is working against you. It's, it was very, um, what is that called? Um, Stockholm Stock- 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 Syndrome. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah, yeah. yeah. Munch- uh, Munchausen by proxy is when you poison the other person because you are you oh like to yeah. take care of them. Yeah. That's different. But um so, you know, I've and and there's definite truth and uh wisdom in like the cycle of violence and everything and you have to check your own codependency and your ideas on relationships and things like that, but truly this guy was like a suspected murderer, like this wow. guy was next level. So, charming. But charming. But so you you jumped ship Oh, Good. yeah, and it was a, the best decision I'd ever made, but, um, you know, usually when I jump ship for anything, it's like a great decision. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Um, but it was completely unplanned, and um, I went through, I had to, like, kind of put my brain back together, and sure. it definitely took some time. The verdict's still out if it happened, but I, I'm very pleased with the results. Yeah, so that makes sense, especially extricating yourself from a relationship and then trying to figure out am I myself without this relationship what is it there's an intimacy that occurs during violence Mm -hmm. you know and abuse and and it's funny like you learn things like childhood trauma actually manifests itself in your adult relationships things like that but it also um it's it was just really it took a lot of hard work and I'm just really thankful that I've always been really self-analytical. So it really helped helped with my recovery. Yeah. So I'm not into douchebags, nothing like that. Oh, I like love guys who've been to jail. I have like a total fetish for guys who've been to jail. It's weird. All right. Yeah, I know. <laughs> All right. I like bad boys. Oh, I know. Vegans. I know. On occasion. Yeah. On occasion, I might dabble. Yeah. But, um, yeah, very consciously aware. Yeah, I'm terrible. The, the people I'm attracted to are like drug addicts, alcoholics, people who have been to jail, people with like severe baggage. Well, like I like that because it somehow gives me the opportunity to be the savior. 
perhaps, right. and to like, you know, help them somehow it, become better. I also like younger women because then I feel like I feel like if guys are older than me, that they're gonna try to teach me something, and I'm like, nah. And I also don't like I also don't like the dynamic of equality. I like to be the person in charge. I really. I was raised by my grandparents, and so I usually take, like, a submissive role. But, like, I really enjoy, you know, equality. I'm totally for it. And, um, in fact, when <laughs> – I don't know if I should tell this story, but I'm going to anyway. <laughs> so um, when I came out of that relationship, it was so bad that I was – I had a horrible job. And I was enforcing contracts from the 90s for a security company. And I'd call people up and I'd say, remember that contract that you signed a decade or so ago? Well, guess what? Um, it auto-renewed and you owe us five grand. I'm so sorry. <laughs> wow, yeah. And so one day I got on the phone with someone. And, and I'm a really great person breaking bad news to good people all day. <laughs> um, but one person got on the phone and said, do this and that. He was using. Oh, you can swear. Oh, okay. You fucking bitch. Like, I'm going to fucking come to your office and this and that. And you work for a piece of shit company. And he was just raging. Yeah. And I looked around. And this was two weeks after I got out of that relationship. I looked around. And I was like, holy shit. I'm hot as fuck right now. Like, should I get this guy's number? Wow. And then I was. Wow, you were positively triggered by a person who was verbally abusing you. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. What a perspective. To, that's amazing that you were able in that moment to take a step back yeah. and take a step forward and analyze that situation. I wouldn't, I wouldn't have the wherewithal to do that. I'd be like. <laughs> You'd be like, let's, let's, let's Yeah, what's your number, guy. buddy? <laughs> yeah, absolutely. No, but I was like, you know what? This is not my kink. This is not this is not me and I think the next week or two I went to um, I was looking at um, the Berkeley University paper because I was like clear you know what I, I lived in Berkeley when I was 18 for about a year and I was like you know what I'm sure they're gonna offer some really unique insights in the um, BDSM those kinds of things right because sure. I'm trying to figure out what the fuck just happened right <laughs> and no I didn't call him <laughs> no good good for um, you. but but you felt that seed, and that yeah. triggered something in you to say, wow, that is hot. No. Right. <laughs> well, no, that turned me on in some way. And yeah. then to think, and like, that's well, not okay. why does that? Why? Why? And, yeah. and there's an empowerment with BDSM, and, and there's things that are going on. And I can't, I'm not in a place of judgment at all. Um, it's, it's really about consent. Absolutely. You know what I mean? Yeah, and safe words. Right. And so... I think that actually BDSM is the m one of the safest ways that you can have sex because everything is, if you're doing it right, everything is laid out ahead of time. You know exactly what's going to happen. There are no surprises. And if there is a surprise, you have your safe word. And you hmm. just say it and the person respects you and it's that easy. I feel like because it's so consent-based and they're hardcore on consent, that it feels, it can feel even safer. Right. And I, I, I think there's... I mean, that's such an important topic to talk about, too, is consent. You know, I definitely like to make jokes about it to try to open up discourse. Well, I've learned a lot about consent because I didn't realize that um, I've had potentially sexually predatory horrific behaviors. Just made that word up. <laughs> but I, I didn't realize for years because I because in the 90s when like at the beginning of the height of my sexuality, I'm, I'm quite older than you, but 
when I was in college in the early 90s and even in the late 80s in high school, uh, that the way women were treated was so, there <laughs> going to a hip hop club in the 90s was basically sexual abuse. Like you were gonna, right. people were gonna come up behind you and they were gonna stick their hard dick up against you and they weren't gonna make eye contact and they weren't gonna ask you if it was okay to dance with you. They were just gonna start rubbing up on you. All night. And you, all night, and you know. Every night. But, but that was the thing is that in going to the hip hop club in LA and Koreatown in the 90s, you knew that that's what you were signing up for. It was almost like consent before consent. Like everybody knew that in going to this place that these kinds of things are the things that are gonna happen. You're not a- asking to get raped in the bathroom. But people are definitely sure. going to come up and do some things that you didn't give the permission for. The climate was different. The climate was different. And so when I decided to sort of rail against that in the late 90s and early 1000s, and even into the late – I mean, I've been in – I've touched people – I've touched people inappropriately without their cons- – I used to play a game called grab ass with <laughs> people at bars where I would grab a guy's ass and I'd point at my friend and be like, hey, it wasn't me, it was her. And then she'd do the same thing and be like, look at her over there. It's not me. And now I look back and I'm like, I was just sexually assaulting men in bars. <laughs> but right. I didn't know that at the time. Right. <laughs> yeah, it's because true. Of the, because of the climate that I grew up in, I was like, well, feminism now, we can do this. This has been happening to me for years. And now with feminism, it's my turn to start doing it back. And now I'm like, oh, that was n- probably not. That was a little predatory. Yeah. But now I've ha- and now I've learned to ask for consent from people before because I'm a, I'm a, I can be a real touchy feely flirty person, and I, I definitely d- am like I'm a hugger you know and I just I forget I forget myself but you know I don't really cater I, I don't really cater who I am to other people but when it comes to touching their bodies it's worth a thought right it's worth a thought fair enough yeah um but it it definitely made me investigate BDSM I had never really uh explored that actually still to this day so um but i've read about it and talked to people about it those kinds of things yeah. i've had friends that are you know in it um and for me it was really about how do i not have this pain how do i not get turned on when i meet someone that's probably dangerous and violent you know what i right. mean because right. when you're in an abusive relationship, a lot of women don't understand these psychological concepts, so they'll be de- uh, dolphining in and out of relationships um, and experiencing the same thing. Sure. And I didn't want to do that. So right. I had to take a break uh, a couple years off, and it worked. I'm not yeah. into that shit. Yeah, the, the dynamic that I fight is that I, um, I try to take care of people and mother them. And then I get sort of angry if my care and attention isn't reciprocated. But when I go into these things, I kind of know that I'm – because I want to be the person in charge. So it's like I'm the caretaker. I'm the provider. I'm the giver. And then I get mad when that isn't mirrored, except that I'm, like, perpetuating these relationships where I'm the one that's, like, in this mothering role. Even right. though it's probably because I'm the provider. But I feel like as far as identity, identity is so much more than just a relationship. I've experienced so much more freedom and have learned, you know, so much about my capabilities uh, outside of relationships. So, I mean, that, I mean. Do you have a safe word? What's your safe word? I don't. Mine's cinnamon. Is it really? Yeah. Because it's a weird thing to say, and it's not anything that would ever be in the bedroom. Should everyone have a safe word? 
you know, I think it's a good idea if you're in a sexual relationship with someone, absolutely. Yeah. Just because, I mean, I always tell people my safe word, just in case, because if something hurts or I don't like it, I'm going to say cinnamon. <laughs> just because, <laughs> because no or yes doesn't, it sometimes it c in the context, it doesn't have as much meaning as this word that you decide at the beginning, this is the word, and if anything goes awry, stop. So right. Well, I think it's good just for, I mean, I don't know. I usually just say something if it's that, if it's like that, you know. Um, just be like, hey, wrong hole, fool, something. Right, 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 right. <laughs> cinnamon, cinnamon. <laughs> I don't know. Yeah. Safe words are fun. Yeah. Because, you know, safety. But I really, you know, um, a friend and, and I were talking about what it meant, like, to have kind of that attraction, unhealthy attraction, and what it took for me to kind of get out of it, which I still like bad guys, like, sure, like, I do, you know, but I, I can't give it any serious thought or time, but what I will say is um, I feel like there's definitely something psychologically important going on during this type of kink that should be evaluated by the individuals participating mm. um, because I think getting to know yourself and your history and where you're going is important you yeah. know I'm just so vanilla I'm like I want to <laughs> try something new <laughs> but because I I'm, I don't know in my it's it's hard getting old strong how, how old are you I'm 42 oh wow I, I thought you were a lot younger than me so kind thank you so much you have no wrinkles that's what they say but I trust I, tr I trust they're there <laughs> no well, also, I'm I'm having macular degeneration, so I can't see a goddamn thing. Oh, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> that explains so much. Yeah, I, I'm beer goggling <laughs> myself all the time, and I like it. I'm like, oh, is that what I look like? Sure. I can't I can't even pluck my eyebrows anymore because I have to wear like my my bifocal my reading glasses, oh, yeah. and so I've got to like pull them up and pull them down and try to get hairs off my face. I just can't even. Magnifying mirror. That's what you need. Magnifying mirror. Yeah. Yeah. Right. That way it'll all work out. I've got this. I got this. I'm an old crone now. You're I looking hate right. the word crone. I hate it, but it's that's the term they give us when you go through menopause and you don't have any worth in our society anymore. Oh, that's absolute bullshit. I know, but still. Yeah. It's hard. It's hard to get old. And with all the sex stuff, you'd think it would get easier to get older, and it seems like I got harder, and I'm just so much more self-conscious. I feel like uh, I just can't. I don't know. I don't. I used to not. I haven't shaved for years and years and years. And I just kind of started again. And I'm like, God, do I, am I really doing this? Like, what am I doing? You're having fun with your body hair. Yeah, it's not fun. I, I wish I, I wish that we could all just. Sometimes I'll just protest shaving my legs and stuff. And that's always when I meet someone. Yeah. <laughs> I'm like, I yeah. haven't shaved for you. Here you go. Yeah. Check here. it out. Look, I'm not, I'm not into like quaffing my body hair. And they're into it. If you find the right person, hell yeah. 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 It'll be okay. Yeah, everything will be okay. No, I'm seriously thinking about doing doing a good long bout of celibacy to just sort of like clean out the cobwebs and figure out <laughs> like what I'm what but then I worry because I'm like I'm getting so old. Soon no one's gonna wanna have sex with me because I'm so old. That's not true. Well the guys I wanna have sex with aren't gonna wanna have sex with me oh. because I'm too old. <laughs> well things change. Things change. You, d you don't know what'll be in style. That's true. You know what I mean? MILFs seem to be a thing, although I'm not into it. 
guess I could play one on TV. Do that's the thing I wonder about all this stepmom porn. Are they real stepmoms or are they just really good actors? I don't know, but it really does. I know you're laughing, but I'm like, you know, that really doesn't that really does circle back around to abuse and how it plays into sex. Does it? I Step think mom so. stuff? Oh, I think so. I don't know. I mean, in part. I just wonder. I, I'm not 100%, but what I will say is um, I wonder if there are, is there an image that is just like, ah, uh, uh, brother, sister stuff or incest oh, stuff. Oh, that that's like, that's all over the place, I think. Right. I, I mean, I don't watch porn. I just hear about it from all the jokes of all the guys who watch Obvious porn. I, I just, I've never, I think maybe from my religious upbringing, it's something that I was never really exposed to. And then when I was married, my husband was black and he had a small penis and he didn't want me to know. And he was like the first guy I had sex with. So I didn't <laughs> know. And so I wasn't, a, he didn't watch porn or have dildos because I found out later when I left him that his big black dick was not so big. But oh I wow. didn't know. I just, everyone would always say like, oh, he's black. He's got a huge, I was like, yeah, it's huge. But I didn't know because so I just didn't wonderful. experience anything else. It was he, great. I bet you he still holds a candle for you for that. <laughs> Probably. You know what I mean? I was That's like, it's huge. It's great. Also, I'm very, <laughs> I'm very, I have very shallow vagina, so it was, it worked out. Yeah. Don't know why I just divulged that on air. Uh, but. <laughs> So, uh, yeah, that's um, micropenis. Okay. It wasn't I'm a micropenis. It just was, I just, <laughs> when, I, when I moved to San Francisco and I slept, I slept with my first white guy, I was like, oh, my God, your dick's enormous. And he's like, six inches is pretty standard, really. And I was like, oh, oh. Yeah. But it's just because I never watched porn. But the I think that the people that watch, I think that all the kids that have been watching porn since they were 12 because of their iPhones, I do think that that, perpetuates violence and sex and I, I because when you watch enough like like and then I hear guys go yeah I beat up that pussy last night it's like <laughs> can you do you have to say it like that like can you say like I hang out with a lot of guys you're like I victimized that pussy yeah, last I've night you know that's fun see now you should do a joke about that <laughs> I victimized that pussy last night right I, I got her to yeah I mean but I think that that's perpetuated through through these visual images that People don't necessarily have context for, or they don't necessarily see it as fantasy, and they see it as you do what feels good or whatever, and then you move on. Right, and that's okay. I don't. I definitely don't like shaming one. I just think there's a psychology to it, and life is a series of abuses and traumas, as far as I'm concerned. So, uh, for me, they're all kind of related, uh, as far as like abuse how it plays out in the future you know childhood abuse to adult yeah. relationship abuse sure. to you know um the rough sex thing was never anything that i had um partaken in but um coming out of because the the love making was was not non-violent sure so coming out of this really terrible physically violent relationship um it was really weird for me to understand that a lot of women like to be choked. Oh. So my mind was just kind of blown day in and day out <laughs> as I was sure. just like, sure. why? I don't get it. Is it Fifty Shades of Grey? What's happening? And because I was in a bubble. Right. And so uh, in a really isolated relationship. So um, those are things. And since then, I've had a really healthy year-long relationship. I'm not in a relationship now, but... You know, I still talk to my ex and have a good rapport with that person. And yeah. 
there was no incidences, you know. Nice. Um, but yeah, I mean, it, I had to take a couple years off and definitely do self self care or whatever they call it. Uh, yeah, the choking thing. Um, I used to like to be spanked a little bit, but it was only because <laughs> at that time when I left my husband in my early thirties, I was thirty two when I left my husband. I moved to San Francisco became the whore of Sodom and Gomorrah. I was drinking, it was before comedy. I was a poet. So I was using alcohol a lot to be creative because I was sort of taught that, you know, Bukowski Yay! was a super drunk and I loved yes. his poetry. And I was like, oh, and the honesty that comes out of that. And the and so I was doing this sort of poet thing where like, I'm a drunk and that's what I do. And I'm <laughs> unapologetic about it. And I like fuck guys in bar, in bar bathrooms. And I right. like, and, and I was drunk all the time. So I don't know how much of when I was having sex with these guys, I don't know how much was me asking them to be violent or if them perpetuating violence with me and me not caring because I was so drunk and I wanted whatever they were providing, even if I didn't necessarily remember it later. Like it was, I mean, I had nights where I'd wake up and be like, and I'd sort of like do some kegels and be like, like that kind of stuff because I didn't really remember but I think that in the moment I was into whatever they were into and they seemed to be into spanking like so then it kind of became like oh out of my marriage where it was just me and him for 13 well we were together for five and then married for seven but for 13 years this was the person I had sex with and this is what it was like and then all of a sudden I'm out in this world and I was like what it's like this and so I didn't really have, and because I hadn't watched any porn and I hadn't, didn't really have a lot of sexual experience, like it was also new to me that I just sort of thought, well, this is the way it is. But it was more like, this is San Francisco sex, drunk <laughs> sex in 2008. You know, like right. where this is what the, the sort of the community is doing, is spanking and choking. So it was like, oh, okay, I guess I'm into this. Right. And now I realize like, I'm not into that at all. Like, not even a little. Like, I don't like to be spanked. I don't like it. I don't <laughs> get anything out of it. I don't know why I submitted to it for so long. I don't. I had a guy once. I um, I said something to him, and then he he smacked me in the back of the head. And what? I, yeah, because I guess we were doing doggy style, and <laughs> he smacked me in the back of the head really hard, and it kind of, like, rung my bell a little bit. <laughs> and I, like, disengaged, and I'm like, get the fuck out of my house. And he's like, I thought that's what you wanted. I'm like, no, I never want you to hit me in the head. Right. Like, who does that? I was so pissed. Like, get the fuck out. I don't, I don't and he know. he got all mad at me. He's like, why would you? I'm like, what? Yeah, it's, it, gets, it's, it gets interesting out there. And I'm all for interesting, you know? You got to find out where, you know, everyone's in their own processes, mm -hmm. discovering what they're into. I know that what I'm into and what I'm not. I'm happy just kind of looking I'm like who did start that the like who started the choking thing was it like Nicki Minaj well I don't you know <laughs> I, I kind I don't of know. understand it from the from the auspices of uh autoerotic asphyxiation and that if you decrease your airflow you can come harder so oh, that if is true yeah so if there's a choking thing it's should be like right before you're gonna come so that it's more intense but 
you know, I'd rather just do a whipping. Like if I want to, if I want to decrease my airflow, there's a lot of ways I can do that without feeling victimized. And less, unless it's totally consent based, and we start it out and be like, all right. I mean, bottom line, if it's consent based, it's consent based, right? That's right. what I read in, in the um, university paper in Berkeley, and that's why I was like, oh, oh. And I had to wrap my mind around that for quite some time. Right. There's guys that like women to put on high heels and step on their nutsack. My friend has done that. Yes. And that I was they're shocked. into it. She is so, she's so, <laughs> she's such a lovely human being. And I'm like, oh, really? Like, I'm shocked that you stepped on men's testicles. Yeah. And she's like, that's what they wanted. That's what they wanted. <laughs> there was, um, I saw, there was a guy, he did a documentary. He was really sick, but he was, he was like sick dying, but he was also into this. SM role play kind of thing, and he actually took a nail and pounded it through his scrotum. Oh, yeah, on the fucking on the do- documentary, and I was like, whoa. But I, I mean, people derive sexual pleasure from all kinds of things, yeah. and it's not. I don't want to be judgmental. And be We're like, just animals. We're just trying to get through this life together without getting coronavirus. And without getting our balls permanently right. damaged, though. Sure. <laughs> I mean, damage my ovaries. Get, get this thing <laughs> out of here. Let this menopause here. end. <laughs> um, what, tell us more about the, the, the new comedy church. What's, where's, the, where, where's your location? Um, so I'm still ironing out the – oh, this is, this is what I should explain. You don't have to register with the state to start a church. So the church already started, but I am registering it as a 501B. Oh. And during that process, they might say, because there's 20 different kinds of um, nonprofit business structures out there, and at one point they might say, we just can't recognize you as a church um, because it has to be faith-based. And um, Comedy is based on faith. I, th- I think so. Super um, faith-based. I mean, I think for some comedians, like, the, the mic is like service, you sure, know? Sure, absolutely. Like, it's like... It's um, like therapy, it's like cleansing, it's like service, yeah. it's like yeah. communication, it's cleansing for other people, it's, there's all kinds of, there's catharsis for the crowd if they somehow relate to you, I mean. Right, so, you know, um, I'm going to see if that flies. If it does fly, I guess the benefit is it's cheaper than an LLC, it can have affiliate nonprofits. it is more than just like, the tax credit and exemptions. I really want to be able to collaborate and help other comics that I love. Like, um, not just that I love, because I love a lot of people. Like, I'm a pretty free love and check. Like, I just am. Uh, what comedy and all these different communities that I've visited have done for me, super healing, you know? Sure. Um, just because I've found other people that were depressed as hell or right right or um you saw humor and funny things that were tragic and so um one of the premises even though it's business like a business enterprise and those type of things um what kind of prompted it to actually go into application mode was i had secured a venue in merced for like uh, 80 to 130 people i'm gonna do a suicide prevention fundraiser in september great Merced, are you from Merced? No. Okay, I didn't think so. No, but um, like that's far away. That's like by Margesco. No, a friend. I had actually wanted to do it at like last year, mm. um, like when I was four months in, because my dad had committed suicide. Oh, I remember that. Yeah, yeah. basically, I think he was murdered by himself. 
Oh, yeah, no, by, by someone himself. else. No, I don't yeah. know. Okay. <laughs> but all jokes aside, uh, all jokes aside, I wanted to do something meaningful to me, you know, uh, for, for that cause and for other people. And I just think that, um, you know, when I've met other comics and been able to vibe out with people, um, you know, a lot of people are depressed. I mean, think about how many people. Oh, I'm depressed. Yeah. I oh, yeah. This is what depression looks like for me. I'm always smiling. Yeah, it's terrible. This is, yeah, exactly. This is <laughs> well, but it, no one knows what you are. No one knows I'm what like the inside eh, looks no, like, um, you know. Always smiling. No, I actually fare really well. I mean, it is shocking. The only thing is the, the holidays were hard for me, so mm. I did party a lot. Um, but my first, like, five months in comedy were really sober-ish. Like, occasionally coke or whatever. Come on-ish. Um, and so to be able to overcome, like, feelings like panic attacks and mm. social anxiety and really do it by kind of like this, I don't know, there's some kind of reverse uh, therapy that happens. Yeah, absolutely. You, you confront your fears. And then it also PTSD, you have problems with perspective and, like, with emotional flashbacks and things. Sure. And I don't get those as often. Good. Like, I mean – well, I never had them very often, but there were certain things that were huge, and so very triggering. You had lots of triggering events, and now you've and it hasn't been that long, and you've already sort of worked through a lot of them. Oh well, it's been it's been a couple years. So oh, it's that bad. Oh, okay. Uh, I mean, I've only done comedy for eight months. Right. But well, I was thinking about the dad stuff. Yeah, it wasn't. That's a whole other trauma. Yeah. But right. Right. <laughs> so many traumas. So many Which traumas. Which traumas will I address tonight on stage? But th that's the thing. I mean, uh, a lot of my therapists had vicarious trauma, and I would joke yeah. around about it before I did comedy because that's actually a term that a lot of psychologists and therapists have or, or use because, you know, they empathize with what they're hearing, and they are, like, traumatized. Right. You know? One of my buddies – this is a total non sequitur, but one of my buddies years ago, he was a psychologist uh, for the Air Force – and he treated uh, pilots, helicopter pilots that were coming back from Iraq. And they were saying, and he got PTSD from hearing their stories. Because they were telling stories about going down a city street and just mowing down people. Just shooting people and seeing them explode in front of them. Right. And he was hearing those stories from those helicopter pilots. And then he got PTSD right. from just listening. So it's like if you can get PTSD once removed just from hearing those stories over and over and over, like it just imagine how hard it is for the people who actually went through, through that. Like Especially what? if they present really well. You don't know what's going on all the time. You yeah. know, just like my dad, like whatever he was going through, I wouldn't have been able to tell. Sure. But what I will say is that you know, you can have PTSD from a car accident, and then you can also be gang raped as well. And then how do you equate that sure. as a human being? Because I feel like they are equal. And I had a hard time the first couple years really struggling with that. Like, it's not equal. <laughs> right. It's, you know. My trauma is bigger than your trauma. Yeah. But it's. Um, Trauma's it, trauma. Yeah, but it's a really beautiful thing to acknowledge someone else's humanity because um, I think the effect, recognizing that you're not alone and then being able to connect with people, whether whatever level of, of 
healing they are, what whatever had caused them this this um, trauma, you know, I think that's what's important. It's I feel it's just another word. Vicarious trauma is just another word for empathy. Sure. Like really strong empathy. You know, when something powerful hits you, and I think uh, it's nothing to shy away from, and it shouldn't have stigma. And I think people should be able to talk about difficult subjects. And then, you know, I think in general, our culture would be uh, absolutely. No, I mean, confronting things in an honest way is the best way to deal. I mean, it hurts. It can be difficult at the time, but then I feel like it takes the it takes the air out of it. You know, like if it's it's almost like trauma is a balloon, and that balloon is still there, but if it's filled with all this stuff and you keep filling it and filling it and filling it, it gets bigger and bigger and bigger and bigger. But if you you know, use that air to let to let out that that communication. Then it can shrink because it, it's the same. It's the same trauma. It's just how much it, is it? Is it huge and filled up, or is it you know tiny and wrinkled? And when can you finally throw that balloon away and be like, or can you? Or does that balloon stay with you? Maybe, maybe the balloon just stays deflated. Maybe it's about deflating the balloon. I mean, what if it's not the size of a balloon, but something huge and heavy? Uh, yeah, right? sure. I mean, before I started comedy, what happened was my dad had passed, and then a friend of 30 years had died oh. right before the beginning of the summer. And I was like, that's it. I'm not working two jobs. I'm going out on the road, and I'm going to act like I'm going to kill myself every Friday. <laughs> <laughs> and it was great because I didn't. And wonderful things had happened yeah. um, every week. And... Um, I, like I said, really chase my happiness, but I feel like, um, where was I going with this? <laughs> that it's a heavy, it doesn't oh, have to be it's a, a heavy, light. heavy it's load. A so I realized just with like that old relationship bullshit, uh, didn't call it a relationship. I, I was dragging all this trauma around and it was contaminating future opportunities. Sure. Even if I was holding it in really tightly, it was just leaking out and contaminating, you know, so I had this visualization that I would put that baggage into a room and I would go visit it like whenever I needed to. But like every morning when I walked out the door or car door or whatever, I would try to be the person that I wanted to be. You left the bed. You got a storage unit for your emotional yeah. baggage. That's yeah. great. So you put the stuff in the emotional storage locker and you got the key and you can visit it anytime you want. Anytime. But it doesn't have to, you don't have to, it's hard to travel with all that stuff. And if you go to an open mic and you put down all of your stuff and you're like, <laughs> you sort of explode into the room and you're like, all right, here I am. But then it's, yeah, I understand that if you can lock it away yeah, and visit it, not lock it away and not think about it. Not like, not like the alcohol locking away was like, I'm drinking this. I'm not thinking about it. I'm drinking, drinking, drinking. I'm locking away these feelings. But that those feelings are there. They're valid. I'm not going to visit them now. Because right now is not a healthy time to visit them because yeah. I'm doing other things. I'm going to visit them later and deal with that stuff and sort through it. And maybe I don't need this. Maybe someday I won't need the storage unit. Maybe I can go through it. Maybe I can have a garage sale. I can have an estate sale. I can sell things. Right. Just trade it off. For trade <laughs> it off. Give it away. Trade it <laughs> off. Get rid of it. For new baggage. For new baggage. Yeah. Absolutely. That's what life's about. And the thing is, is I love m making people laugh about things that they shouldn't. Maybe. Sure you know, that they don't expect or I don't expect them to laugh about. Um, and I 
think those kinds of things are important because when I was really going through a lot of trauma, I still had my sense of humor. So the, the belief in my whole heart is that comedy is a, a great coping and healing mechanism. Mm. And um, I think that there's been comics doing comedy for a long time that um, maybe not for a long time, but some of them just don't realize how important they are. You know, even on a subconscious level, when no one's a, no one's paying attention at the open mic, but they're out there, they're they're speaking truth into existence, and they're trying to make people laugh. The jokes in their head coming out—that's a beautiful thing. And um, so, I really think being able to do it on stage and then a fat stranger is yeah. just amazing. We're, we're uh, how is uh, tell us walk us through one of your new church services. Oh. Well, some things are still some things are still in process, mm. but the whole idea is the hope that the actual location will be kind of like Universal Life Church mm. where it's a website. The service is actually a podcast that oh. I can actually have com- have people have conversations with each other, post videos, talk philosophy, talk shop, like um, and really on one hand it's like a nonprofit public relations tool but on the other hand if anyone really has met me and really vibes with me then they know how much um how important the people that I work with and work around are Mm -hmm. even if I've I'm really like this new relationship and business relationship and um yeah I mean it's tough out there it's it's good to like shine shine a light and say hey you know uh we're all trying to build each other up (laughs) You mean what do you think you about say, that? When you say yeah. that, are you do you mean in a comedy way, or do you saying in like a hum- humanitarian way? Humanitarian. Okay, way. yeah, because comics are all soulless monsters. <laughs> so that I'm like, I'm like, you want to build what with who? Like, yeah, like soulless monsters Let's who have it. no, they don't, they don't appreciate. You know what? Even soulless monsters, they probably have been victimized themselves at some point. At that's some point. that's true. And people forget men get raped, men get attacked. You know. Yeah, I know we do forget that. Um, I forget that all the time. Um, so, so, but in the same, uh, it's really important that you know we exercise tolerance and just try to um, celebrate each other as, uh, for for being in the in the laughing industry. I think it's great. That's nice. I don't think comedians are very supportive. I think you're amazingly supportive, and, and I'm excited about uh-huh. your church. Thank you. But Merced. Oh so no, that's far. just that's just a um, that is a wonderful venue um, for a fundraiser in oh, September. Oh right, for the f- fundraiser for for suicide awareness. The actual it's church. It's the only suicide's the only death that's 100% preventable. I feel that. Yes, yeah, suicide's the only death that's. Never 100% heard that. Yeah, it's the only <laughs> thing too is, and I think a lot of people carry around guilt yeah. that they didn't do enough, enough or that they yeah. didn't talk to a person or they didn't say something on that day or what, and it's like. I mean, it's. I feel like we need to put resources into maybe Action. helping people be. I don't know. Maybe it's just that our society. It just doesn't feel like there is a lot of support and a lot of love in the world right now, and so right. people have a difficult time connecting, and it's very easy to feel alone, right. because especially with the advent of all of our devices, and that we think we're getting closer, but we're really just getting farther away, and. When you, I can't look at Instagram because it's just an idealized personification of everyone's life. <laughs> and so it makes me feel like a pile of dog shit often. And then Aww. I get more.
more depressed by trying to feel more connected. So like in my search for connection, I feel more disconnected because of the media that we're connecting on now. Right. I think with comedy, even though uh, they're soulless bastards, is that what you said? Soulless um, monsters. Monsters. Yeah. Um, I will say selfish soul, soulless. Yeah, I've I've felt like fellowship just as a human being, yeah. um, and was shocked. I mean, I feel like people can't surprise you unless you allow a space for them to surprise you sometimes, uh. and then you get to hear their stories because you're such you know in, in, my, in my case I'm just like blah 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 very open right. Mm. Uh, and so I get to hear stories, and I'm just like, wow, you know, it's people who, you know, and just like really kind um, people that, you know. You're I mean, so positive. I'm very happy in my life. I, I yeah. was very, like, like very, very depressed at the beginning of the summer. Um, but, I mean, I would say two months in, I was done. I was fine. Like, oh. I had recovered. So when I say my life in recovery, I mean, you know, I, I'm not 100%. I, I still know that I have emotional flashbacks. I'll have certain things happen that I know are part of this, um, what, PTSD or whatever. But it was uh, invaluable for me to just, like, really push myself. And I think that's what comedy is. You get up there, and to be able to share yourself and push that envelope um, – just from translating thoughts in, into speech mm. and then just wait to see if they're going to, like in my case, I was like, Jen, what's the worst they can do? Walk out on you, heckle you? You've been through worse. And when you put it, when you're dealing with your trying to recover from trauma in that way, it was helpful for me. I was like, every time I got off the mic um, was just like, this is great. This is a great thing. Wow. Yeah, I have a – my only trouble is I feel like I'm only good as my last performance. And so if That's I haven't had a good performance in a while, I'm like, <laughs> what am I doing with my life kind of thing. Uh, well, I think – I don't know. I'm just – I've been lucky. I have a couple shows coming up, one in Concord and one in, in Santa Cruz. Um, but, like, for the most part, I was just doing it to meet the people and share myself and um, – I was very lucky to fall into really great um, supportive spaces, you know. And um, where are the supportive spaces you go to? Because I don't <laughs> know where they are. Reno, Santa Cruz, um, uh, San Jose. Um, San Jose, where? Like the improv? Oh no, I haven't done the caravan. Improv. Oh, I, you know, I've done the caravan a couple I've times. I've never gone down to San Diego to do mine. Either. I've done the Reno improv, yeah. and that's been fun. Um, yeah, so I've done, like, a show in Hollister. I just jumped on a set, um, a showcase in San Mateo, um, Delirium. But for a couple months, I actually, like, just went to, like, the toughest rooms or the, the rooms that I thought were most difficult. Mm. And it was about, like, trying to whatever fear was inside of me, tear it apart. Gotcha. Get it out of here. Good. So, yeah. Uh, awesome. What do you do? You have any? Do you have any more to add about the about your new church? Well, I. The whole thing? Well, if people, um, well, how do I say this? I just want to be inclusive and support people's dreams, and I think that um, if you believe that everything is funny and simultaneously nothing is funny at all, <laughs> um, and 
you can exercise some politeness, just a small amount of, of uh, politeness and some amount of tolerance, then I'm sure every, you know, I, that's a great collaborative space because that's like my f um, adopted family. That's, mm. that's what I want to, to kind of create. Just even if it's just a few people that are talking about, like my friend Tess, like um, she is like a political activist and writer. And, and so there's going to be a lot of different types of content mm. and um, just different ways to support each other and kind of build kind of a community within a community that already exists. Because all of this, all this feeling that I've had, I know that it's there. I don't need to create a church uh, to validate it, but I know that other people are experiencing this wonderful thing on the mic too, and they're driven by it, and they're hitting me with mics all the time, and it's great. Yeah, it's so funny. Once yeah. you're well, <laughs> once you're in it, once you're in it for as I mean, once you're in it for as many years as I have, it starts to you it you start to wonder what what actually you're getting out of it what's happening. I mean, I'm, I'm almost nine years in to comedy. Yeah. So, and I mean, that's, uh, that's, that's sad, actually. No. Well, I no, it is so. because it's like, what has been truly created in these nine, this is the longest I've ever done anything. I've done graduate school for, you know, four years was kind of the long. I never have held a job more than like four years. Um, this is, it's the longest thing I've ever sort of committed to, just straight time-wise. And then you start to evaluate, like, what are the benefits? Like, am I am I emotionally secure? Do I feel like that's sort of? But you know, I don't know. I don't know. I don't know what to do with it. I don't know if it is. I and it's you. You just start to wonder, like, what's the end game? Well, I think happiness should be a goal, right? Sure. And it's not always going to be achievable, n not at all. Right. But I think um, if you find joy in it, and I mean, I remember when I first attempted comedy like seven years ago, someone was like, and I had stopped, um, someone had said, well, it doesn't matter if you're funny or not. It just matters on if you're on the mic or not. I know he's an asshole. The point is, is that <laughs> that had me fucked up for like a minute. Because yeah, I'm like, because I was like, I'm like, <laughs> I mean, I'm. I feel was like it like a backhanded compliment. Like, doesn't matter that you're not funny. <laughs> like, like, what are you saying? No, he was saying like I was like the funniest girl he knew, but that it didn't matter unless I was up on the mic. And so, whether it was encouragement or a backhanded uh, compliment or whatever it was really bothered me because I wasn't going to get up there at the time. So, and then for a moment this summer, I was doing 26 mics a month. I was like going crazy, getting my fix, right? Yeah. Um, I will say that I thought for a second, I kind of understand there's so much difference in being up on stage and not. But it doesn't mean it's less important. If you're a funny person and you are making your family laugh or your coworkers laugh, Oh my goodness, my uh, work wife Nisha. Oh Lord, she is. She and I survived a really toxic work environment, um, but we were laughing the whole way. Yeah. And I think that's how you get through the hard times, you sure. know. 
Yeah, laughter, as they say, it's the best medicine. I don't think it's going to cure the coronavirus. And now Shit. that everybody <laughs> keeps canceling their shows, I was like, I was booked on Buster Cluck this Friday. Come on, man. You're canceling it? What are you doing? Come on. I'm not canceling anything at Mutiny Radio. I'm doing everything. I don't care. I, I don't believe it. in corona. I, 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 don't, I think everyone's freaking out for no reason. Freaking out. If you're not old and you don't have AIDS, you're going to be fine. If you're not a baby and you're not some old person with fucking diabetes and, you know, cra- some crazy immunosuppressive disease, it's just another flu, everybody. I mean, it's going to suck, but really, I mean, give me a break. There was some really gnarly videos coming out of Wuhan, and there was just a woman screaming, and they were telling – I wanted to post it, but I was like, oh, gosh, this lady's pretty upset. I don't mm-hmm. want – so – but <laughs> – but it was really moving because she's like, our government is allowing this to happen. Uh. Uh, they're not taking the precautions that they're able to, and they're letting our elders die. And she was so distraught. Yeah, but and she's like, I know what's going to happen because I came out of um, – because I'm speaking out against my government. Yeah, she's going to get be put in jail. Yeah, and she's, she's going to disappear or whatever. And it sucks when old people die, but, like, there's so many people. I'm, I'm so heartless right now. I'm it's so okay. heartless. I'm just like, there's billions of people on the planet. Mother Earth is figuring out a way to kill some of them. Oh, that's what's going on. I know. I don't know if I'm going to make it either. I'm really excited because <laughs> I just, if I survive it, I'll be really proud of myself. It's not a personal accomplishment. It's just I've just touched my face like 15 times and everyone's around like, touch, touch. I, I'm not um, I bite a germaphobe. My nails. I bite my nails. I ride the bus and bite my nails. If anybody is going to get corona, it's going to be me. I've got my fingers in my mouth all the time. Like a li- I'm not just touching my face. I'm like fingers <laughs> in my mouth. I'm, you know, I'm, who knows what's on the 22 bus? Is there feces on the 22 bus? I don't Always. know. Probably. <laughs> like, Always. Hello. I'm just going to like wipe my hand in some urine because it's sterile. Oh and I'll like God. run it through my hair. No, we're all going to be. I think that things are going to be fine. And if they're not, I've been waiting for the coming apocalypse for years. I'm super stoked on it. (laughs) Oh, I want the apocalypse to come now. Finally, all my skills will come to fruition. Like, I can cook outdoors. I can murder animals and eat them, prepare them. I can run fast. Like, there's all kinds of things I can do in the apocalypse. (laughs) I don't know how to shoot guns, though. I can. I can run fast. I can still skateboard. I think that once the apocalypse happens, I'll start skateboarding again because I won't be worried about losing teeth. Be like, whatever. You right. know, dentists left. I can skateboard. Yeah. Yeah. This has been crazy. you have any other uh, last words for the people about any of your amazing things? Um, it's like I, I just keep an eye out, and I'll definitely be sending invites and spread the word that, like, there's going to be cool collaborations, and we're just going to celebrate kindness and awesomeness and – Above all, above all, comedy. Yeah. If, well, you know, and if you wanted to use this space, we have Sundays 4 to 6 open. Oh, I know. I, w- I messaged you about, like, oh. trying to get something lined up. Yeah. So, yeah. Did I not get back to you? Oh, yeah, you did. Oh, okay, we just I can't really remember. I've been so busy because of the festival. I'm like, I have no idea what's <laughs> happening in my life. I have no idea what's happening. And then I've got all these people that are like, hey, when's this coming out? What's that? And I'm like, oh, I'm not even close to getting the videos together. I still have to, like... I don't think people realize that I don't have a team. I work alone. There is nobody but what? me. And that's what I'm Moody talking Radio about. Radio is Pam Benjamin. That's it. That's it. There's no – There's. I have I have an accountant friend who helps me out, and I have my tech guy who lives in Vegas. 
Lisa Jen, thank right. you, Richard Kay. But other than those two people, there ain't nobody. There are nobody. There's oh. like, and I even try to get people to pay their dues. I mean, I have to, that's the other thing I have to do today is go through and send emails to all the people who haven't paid dues this month. I'm like, it's the 10th. <laughs> I'm waving money right now. Oh, thanks. What I will say is, is that um, ideally I want to sponsor comedians to be able to spread the good word in teams of two or three to do little small traveling loops. That is part of it, too. Yeah. So um, there's some aspirations there, you know, because uh, I just we want to take care of each other. I that is that is a whole you saying that it's a whole new perspective for me because I've been in it for nine years <laughs> and I don't think anyone's been there to support me. You're like, so I will kill like, you off when you're no. like, <laughs> no, I want everyone to die because I feel so unsupported. <laughs> I'm like, fuck everybody. Where's it? But it's nice that you want and I hope. I hope that Me you too. get a team together Me and that too. people support you back because when you run something, no, nobody, they don't. Even if I fail, my worst fear is that it's a complete failure and I'll have to really come face to face to gritty street knowledge. But I already know gritty street knowledge. It's fine. Yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm Yeah. And I'm also prepared. what is, what is, what is, what is failure? Like, I don't know yeah. what that means. I don't, I I don't understand failure and I don't understand success because when I feel like I have success in other people's eyes, it's still failure. And sometimes other people will see success for me and I'll see failure in my own eyes. So like that whole concept of, it's the same thing of like good and bad or right and wrong. The whole dichotomy of failure versus success. I have no concept what that means. Be good to yourself and just be kind to yourself. And I think that you'll be in a good place. Yeah. Yeah. Jen Sanchez. Everybody look no. up. Garcia. Garcia. You're Shit. racist. I'm such a jerk. Well, no, it's because there's another girl named, no, there's Jen Perez. That's the other uh. Jen. I'm a racist. I'm an accidental racist. Fucking I racist. I knew it was wrong. Sorry. No, it's okay. Jen Garcia. Oops. I'm sorry. There's a lot of Jens now. There's Jen Perez. There is no Jen Sanchez. I just made that name up. There should be. There should be. I'm going to create a fictional character. Yeah. What's yeah. the, t- tell us the name of the church again. Vicarious Traumas Church of Comedy, or Cock. Oh, that's hilarious. You need cock in your life. You need some cock in your, I, I don't. <laughs> I know, it's just do. a joke. Oh, we all do. No, I know, it's a joke. <laughs> We're it's all great. good off cock. Yeah. Except the Church of Comedy, right? So. That is great. Uh, so everybody check it out. Church of Comedy. Uh, this has been Some Call Me Tim. Uh, we'll be back next week with more talking about stuff so uh, stuff and probably comedy it'll be comedy uh, thanks for joining me on mutinyradio.fm I hope that you're listening on our app if you are listening on to us online and you have an iPhone go and get our app if you are online and checking out mutinyradio.fm please hit that GoFundMe button and give me some money or come by 278 121st street any Friday we have fantastic comedy clubhouse from 8 to 10 it's only 10 bucks great comedy show and I need your money <laughs> if you want this place to stay alive. Uh, thanks for being here, Thank Jen. you. Thank Yay. you. <laughs> Thank you so much. We spoke five pounds.
it's great to be here. You're so in or outside the building it is totally age appropriate i am yeah I, i'm 19 years old uh all the way out here yeah no i just love it you know i can't really believe how funny you are too that is like and you have such <laughs> a you're such an own soul no you have like a, a awareness about you that belies your few years oh. on this planet thank you very much I, I just i just call it social anxiety you know i'm just over i'm very over analytical of myself I, I'm, I'm glad that you, i'm glad that's a good thing thank you yeah. <laughs> you got the speeds so the way that it works on some call me tim is i have you look deep into the eyes of sparkle jesus i didn't scratch that on there that's some cool jerk spark. came in there and did i was like why would you deface my beautiful jesus but that's cool as fuck yeah i think i think that's cool as fuck i was seeing that i was like who had the balls to that, that's I used to put a little uh, a little roach in between his fingers so it looked Ooh. like he was uh, like I taped it on there but someone took it and smoked it. Yeah, <laughs> uh, that's that's only a matter of time. Uh, and then you look at the eyes of Sparkle Jesus and I say, "Do you believe in Jesus?" Like as a as a person who once lived. Good question. Uh, however, however you define whatever's happening here, like, do you believe in Jesus? Um. As a person, as an icon, as an idol, no. So he was a guy who walked the earth approximately 2,000 years ago, and he was murdered because he said some cool shit. Yes. All right. But he had a great marketing team. <laughs> Twelve. I disagree. Twelve losers following him around. They were the <laughs> shittiest marketing team ever. I mean, we're talking about him right now. I mean, he had, <laughs> oh, the, he had that okay. book series. <laughs> he has that book series. Yeah, you're right. He's got that book series. You know. oh, when are they going give, to give him that Netflix special? Yeah, <laughs> I, seriously. Everyone's talking about this Jesus guy. I I, I, I mean, they, there's history like that around the same time as Jesus. There were just a lot of religious zealots, a lot of people going around. And just doing like magic and shit. The first doing ever. Doing magic and shit? Yeah, I, I started thinking that they're just doing magic because the, the some of the oldest, um, I mean, this is maybe it's coincidence, but some of the oldest like drawings of Jesus are depicted of him with a wand. Really? Yeah. Yeah. So I don't know. I don't know if it's <gasps> Bibbity us bobbity Jesus. boo. Yeah. Abracadabra Jesus. Ooh. And he's just like, he's like, Je you know, we, we like Jeff Dunham, you know, why is he popular? He's not doing anything cool necessarily, but he's super good marketing team. Jesus, mm. maybe he was just a magician, you know, Peter. You know, got some 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 shit trending in the year zero. I think that I think that what was trending <laughs> was food. They were feeding lots of people. Oh. And people didn't, <laughs> and they're like, "Ooh, food! Let's follow this guy around." Retweet on the bread. <laughs> <laughs> Hashtag bread. Hashtag. <laughs> Let's get this bread. This shit doesn't change, you know. It's all circular. But the wheat cake. Some say because Jesus disappeared from the. So the if you read the New Testament or you read that, which is a collection of stories, and I didn't even include them all, but. He at 13ish years old, he flips the money changing tables in the temple, and he says, "Capitalism is bad." Blah, blah. <laughs> and he disappears for 20 years, and he comes back, and he's 33, and he does all his ministry within that year, and he's killer. But people say, "Where did he go for those 20 years?" Some speculate that he actually went to Asia. He went to other parts of the continent and oh. studied with like uh, Chinese philosopher, like all these these different. Philosophical ideas and and in India and like studied with different people and then came back. I don't know. Someone might have made that up. But then that's I'm cool as shit, though. I w I hope it's that because also if you look back, um, the in the 
Chinese like pharmacology book they wrote 4,000 years ago, they mentioned cannabis as like an actual medicine and all these different ways huh. to prepare it and put it in I things. I bet it was blue spell. I bet, I bet it was not fire. No, well, I They were they not were, smoking gas they in the were, year. They <laughs> weren't separating the males and females. They were, I mean, maybe <laughs> they were collecting seeds and doing their thing, yeah. but I'm sure that the weed was much different. But then, so if he went and he visited all these Chinese people and learned about weed and came back, and cured like all these skin disorders. What if he was just putting weed on them? What if he was just smoking out all these fools? Or like putting it in oils and like <laughs> anointing them, anointing with oils. What the fuck is that CBD. about? CBD, right? He's the original CBD. CBD. Hell you yeah. THCA. You I choose CBD. to believe it. I think all religion you choose to believe it, and I, I, I believe in that now. I, I, thank you. I, I very much. That's cool as shit. Do they really not know where he went for twenty years? The, there's, there's no. no so when you read the Bible, it's he's thirteen. And then all of a sudden, he's a man. He comes and he starts. John the Baptist comes and goes, hey, it's yeah. not me. Everybody was like, John the Baptist, John the Baptist, you're the dude, you're the mm. dude. And he's like, nope, 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 I'm just the prophet. And then John the Baptist um, baptizes Jesus because then John the Baptist freak, freaks out. He's like, oh, you're the one. Like very, yeah. very neo, very matrix. This yeah. is it. <laughs> and, uh, you know, Jesus was all humble and shit. And he's like, yes. And so he got baptized. And then on the the bird came down and, oh, and everybody, oh, he's the Lord of God. <laughs> and then he started his ministry from there. Jesus did. Yes. And that's wow. after he got tempted in the desert by the devil for 40 days where he like right. didn't eat any food and he was fasting, just talking to the father or whatever. And then the devil came and was like, I'm going to fuck with you. And he's like, nope, <laughs> I'm Jesus. And, like, <laughs> and that's how we know. That's <laughs> how we know he's the God. <laughs> he's the one. <laughs> that's so crazy. You know, I, I grew up an atheist. I never read the Bible actually because it was oh. so dense and I was like, I never had a reason to. But hearing about Christianity and what the story is from different people with, like, their own colloquial, like, terms and casually is just so fucking, so fucking funny to me, man. Like, who yeah. wrote it? Like, Because right. exactly. like, it, 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 it's, like, it's like a huge collection of stories, right? I may not just be making stuff up. Maybe some of those are genuine stories. But yeah, hell yeah. I don't, I don't <laughs> I, there's just a huge collection of stories. Who wrote all this shit, you know? And why is it, why does it resemble, like, these amazing – No, no. Keep <laughs> going. No, why does it resemble other – It's a great fucking story. Other, other myths. And things that were happening yeah. at that same time, and but then then we have to go back to the whole like Joseph Campbell idea of why do we have these continuing archetypical myths that go through our storylines? And so right. religion used to be this thing that maybe religion was entertainment back in the day because right now we keep recycling stories on movie TV right. because we're I don't know are we have to be entertained? Maybe religion was the entertainment back then because they mm. didn't have Netflix. I think humans have always. <laughs> I think humans have always needed meaning in their life. I think that's one of the things that we always need to survive and move forward. That's how we gain hope. And I think that that by believing in heroes. Yeah, believing in heroes, believing in religion is just meaning. It, it's it makes stories make it easier to ascribe meaning to our own lives, you know. Oh. And those larger meanings form the zeitgeist of our own cultural knowledge sure. and education. I, I so I think it's just out of a need of us always needing meaning. And I think I I identify as an existential. <laughs> I think you can just find meaning in any like anything, you know. That I think that's that's that would be my belief system. Yeah, would be that, that same reason. Well, you've also been through some hard shit. So I mean, people who uh, do you do a lot of be hard, you do hard drugs. Yeah. Uh, if you but if if you went through that stuff, were you trying to ascribe meaning and you weren't finding it, and so you were like, I'm gonna do these crazy drugs because my life has no meaning, or was it that you were doing the drugs because you were 
Mm, you know, I, I think I don't think that I was seeking meaning with it. I think it is interesting though that people that do go through hard times sometimes they get they gain kind of my perspective on it, which is sort of like this is all bullshit. This is like all kind of pointless. You have to you have to ascribe your own meaning to things. You have to kind of do it on your own. And some people get very religious, especially in treatment. People got very very externally motivated by meaning. Right. Um, so I think I I, I wanted to mm. yeah. So I I would say that drug abuse exists kind of parallel to that. Perhaps not. It it, do, it doesn't really. Um, but yeah, I was always very independent, and so obviously I didn't do what anybody told me. And people were always like, "Don't do drugs." So, uh, so were, <laughs> you, were you diagnosed <laughs> as a child with op o ODD, oppositional device disorder? No, I don't think I was. You were okay. I, th I mean, one that's of the labels they like to slap on kids that have a personality and then they. I <laughs> I, I know. Right? I, I honestly, as someone, I was like textbook one of the like the class clown, kind of the bad kid. I got expelled from like two schools. Yeah, they didn't. I'm surprised that nobody was like oppositional defiance disorder. I never got any of those like quant like oh, those I, I diagnoses like I never got ADHD either yeah. and like now I went and got one when I was like 17 or 18 because but Adam of course I it's awesome that. yeah I also I wish I had it's hard to tell my it's hard to tell my psychologist now that I need Adderall without telling them that I used to abuse it because right. like I know it works but I, it works like I, I'd love to use it responsibly again please that's an amazing perspective though to have at 19 to be using it responsibly I mean I'm 45 and I'm just learning mm. how to I'm I'm on 30 today's, 32 days without alcohol. It was the oh. longest I've ever gone since I was your age. Congratulations. Thank you. That's a, do you get, are you an AA? Do you get a chip? Fuck or no. No, yeah, it's still. We do have an AA meeting here, though, at Mutiny Radio. Oh, that's good. Um, I, don't, I don't partake myself because I also, I'm like, I'm not going to get into something where, like, I'm powerless. I have to yeah. submit to a higher power. Yeah. You know what? I'm already submitting to a higher power right now. It's called gravity, and it's holding yeah. me to the goddamn ground. <laughs> and I don't understand it that's at all. And electromagnets? That's the truth. Magnets? How the fuck do they work? How the fuck do I magnets? I ICP, I man. ICP, <laughs> but electromagnetic <laughs> stuff? Like, I don't know how that works. That's clearly a higher power. Yeah, how does beauty work? Why does What makes something pretty? Well, you know? aesthetically, we could... You have, your eyes are wide set, so that's a very pretty. But why? What defines uh, that reaction? Is when you see something that's so beautiful, like a beautiful landscape or you, like a sunset, what is that reaction? I think to me, that's God. That's the closest you are to God is when you're seeing like that fourth, that. But that's you recognizing something. something. That's not. I mean, it's a feeling. It's a feeling. Looking at like an amazing painting and just getting lost in it, in this beauty, in this, it's just like it. it I don't know. It's a, it's something else. It's divine. I think. But w uh, and if now, now there's you're talking about two different things because if it's mm. a sunset, it's nature and it's something. But if it's painting, then it's man-made and created. And then there's a different re there's a different relationship happening there. Right? I don't think there is. I think that beauty is, as a divine thing exists in all things in oh. a way. And, and 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 I guess it's being able to present that. Because I, I think the beauty is the same in a painting of a sunset and a sunset. I think the humans have been able to recreate the beauty. And sometimes the beauty. Beauty exists in not only a sunset and not only a painting, like architecture too. Okay. And beauty exists in all these things in different ways, but it all exists as beauty. And now way. you're making me think of American Beauty when the trash bag is oh, floating it around. It is. And he's that's like, beautiful. I've never seen anything more beautiful. <laughs> okay, that's a little. That's a little too much. Honestly, <laughs> have you seen Blade Runner where he's like, and I disappear like tears in the rain. <laughs> that's a little. That's a little. <laughs> so that's I would. I would label that sentimental in that it mm -hmm. asks for an emotion that it doesn't pay off on. You it's know, like yeah. at the end of a poem when you're like, Ugh, or in a card, and you're like, Ugh. Well, you're it, asking, yeah. it asks for an emotion that it doesn't pay off on. 
and that's like center mentality. Dude, I'm gonna have to write that down because <laughs> that's yeah. that that makes a l- yeah. I think that's exactly how I feel about it too. I didn't think about that. Yeah, it's like when you when you when something's it's but sometimes when things are super icky and gushy and over the top that way, then I can appreciate that too. Like like Japanese girls wearing cute outfits, <laughs> like with yeah. like angelic pretty. But that's Yay! a message in and of itself. Like yeah, that, yeah. That I, that's when you're when you're like overly sentimental. That's cute too. Yeah. Or I don't know. There's a statement about that. I think there's something to be said about bland sentimentality. Like, yeah, old poetry and some yeah. some a lot of poetry is very <laughs> ask for an emotional response that you don't work for. Yeah. Because yeah. you have to pe- people have to come to you anyways. Right. And in all good art. That also works for gross aunts when they want to kiss you on the cheek and it's like, like Oh, mm. you want something from me that I don't mm. understand yeah. when I give you <laughs> <laughs> I don't know what I'm supposed to do in this situation. <laughs> Actually I I love all my aunts, I wanna say that because I know they might find this. Uh, hi, Aunt Eileen. Hi, Aunt Liz. Hi, Aunt Fluffy, and all else. Is that <laughs> is that a cat, Aunt Fluffy? Aunt Fluffy? No, that's my that's my dad's sister. She has really poofy hair. Oh. She's great. She lives here in Berkeley. Shout out, shout, shout out, out Aunt to Fluffy. Berkeley. She's a social worker. She's a great woman. Oh, that's amazing. <laughs> that's yeah. as people. It's so funny. I was having a conversation about capitalism. Uh, just when you say, I just thought social work, and my brain went, they don't make any money. Well, how are they living their lives? Yeah. But when you make a choice now to like, I don't know, I feel like America hates poor people and oh yeah. yet so many jobs keep people poor. And yeah. it's like, who wants to be a fucking social worker? Like, exactly. Because yeah. you're not going to, or maybe you get just, what do you get it's from it? It's determined by that meaning, I think. You know, the meaning of my life is to help others. Oh. And that's why, I mean, I mean, that's why. Yeah, just the the meaning of your life is what makes you like you know choose this certain direction. I guess that's all you need more than the money. I guess. I mean, we're sure. f- we're fucking comedians. Yeah, you know? yeah, fair. I think, yeah, it's, you're probably very familiar with going with uh, something that's not capitalistic in yeah, a way. Yeah, well, I I can't get money to just get a piece of paper that floats in my hand. I don't yeah. under I don't I, I get angry these days about like the only thing we have as a species truly is our ability to create mm. life, and so. I like to create a lot of food, and I like to create, but uh, women can create babies, like men can create, well, not just men and all that, but people mm. can create labor, they can do things and make things, and mm. it seems that we've moved into a place where things aren't real, like Bitcoin is not real, yeah. memos being passed around are not real, YouTube is not real. They're all concepts. And they all just sort of live in this cloud of internet, when, this, when the electricity goes down, everyone is fucked. Yeah. Because this isn't real. Mm-hmm. Like, making French toast is real. Yeah, or it's tangible. It's tangible things. It's like an object. And I feel like humanity has gotten away from survival, mm-hmm. where it's everything is tangible goods, because otherwise you're going right. to fucking die. You're going to freeze, right, right, you have right. to build something, or you have to do something. Right. Now we're in this place where... It's all concepts. It's, it's all, all concepts. assigned. I, I think I... That's so interesting that you say that because I think that humans. The one thing that we can do is we have like this con- this consciousness of us to be able to ascribe like meanings and labels onto things, right? And so even being able to make French toast, like that's real, but you're still it's still absurd that you're it's, it's, it's coming up. It, it's still absurd because you're making French toast, quote unquote, but it's still just like bread and eggs, and you're just putting stuff together. It's a creation, um, no different in a way. It's a, it's a lesser version of the creation of a concept. You know what I mean? The label of French toast is the concept you ascribe onto putting like eggs with bread and shit like that. 
And the same thing is for like Bitcoin and these things that are intangible and these tech things that you're still ascribing meaning, but there's no physical aspect to it at all. It is entirely intangible and mental. But and then you have to go back to Plato because he said that thought is real. So it's that whole chair debacle. If right? you think of a chair in your Ooh. head, that chair that you're thinking of is real. It's not that chair right there. It's not the chair you're sitting in. Mm-hmm. But there is a chair, and that chair exists because thought is real. The 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 putting of the label exists. The label of the chair exists because the thought is real. I think that yeah. that is the only disconnect for me. But you don't have to like bu- build an actual chair for the chair to be real. Yeah. But then yeah. so then if you kind of because that's a con- that's a priori context. And then if you so that actually I feel like is what gives us everlasting life is that Plato is still alive because I just said his name and I'm thinking about him and his ideas and so that in my head is real and that's real. Thoughts so he's are real. real. So people can have so that your your afterlife is actually just just like a half life of how long you're remembering and how you're being dude i'm so fucking glad you got this on tape because <laughs> i don't have to write any of this down in my google docs i can just listen to it again they, this is fucking gr- awesome dude are you playing like binaural beats in this shit because yeah, this is some is, there's like wow because this is some 4d conversation right here i didn't even <laughs> think about that's so interesting because if thought is real <laughs> and you remembering people, then those people are real, so people never die. So, so everlasting like a, yeah. life exists, but not in a stupid way. W- but it does exist in a way where people are like, "Ooh, there's a fluffy gate and this yeah, stuff yeah, and yeah. the pit of pearls." How you imagine it to be sure. Sure, because if because if you're thinking it in your head, then it's real. Then you're ascribing right. meaning to it. <laughs> I'll have to go to a bookstore after this. I know there's a lot in fucking there. Put the Platonic chair. It's That's so one sick. of my poetry professors talked about it a lot in graduate school. That was his whole gig. It's like, if thought is real and we're constructing thought and we can construct anything and you're a poet, you're a master of the language, so fucking be a master of the language. Mm. Think of some high concepts, but, you know, most... Construct. Construct, but most most kids in college just write poems about their feelings. It's fine. (laughs) It's just like comedy. (laughs) It's just just like comedy. comedy. It's just... (laughs) (laughs) What do you... You know, honestly, you've seen the new Pete Davidson special? No, I don't watch famous comedians because I feel like they influence me subconsciously, and yeah. so I don't like to take in what I want to take in. Yeah, I don't. I don't watch any new comedy specials either. I I, I watch like some YouTube. I, I I watch like stuff that I think that if I do absorb it, it'll, it'll be for the better. You know, like more niche comedy, like yeah, and those things. But one thing that I was worried about is because you brought up he's doing poems about dick jokes again. He had this whole thing about people had to like put their phones away and like put them in the bat in bags so that no one could steal his material. And I guess there's a plethora of reasons why someone would want to do that, but. The special comes out, and, like, in the trailer, he's like, yeah, my dick is weird. (laughs) (laughs) What was going to steal that, bro? (laughs) The lady gem dropped. Well, they do that now. Um, Madonna did that. My buddies went to her concert here in San Francisco, and um, she changed it. It was, And she didn't go on until, like, 1130. They're like, we live in Walnut Creek. Like, what are we doing in this city at 1130? But they made them put their cell phones in these bags so that you couldn't open them during the concert because – but here's the other I thing mean, about that. It's so dumb when people film concerts. You're never going to watch it again. You're it and it's already on YouTube and you can watch someone else doing it. And when you're watching it on a screen, you're not there live experiencing the fucking joy and wonderment. Yeah. You're, se- you're separating yourself from it. You're saying, totally I'm agree. spending all this money to be here and be in this place, and yet I'm going to experience it through a tiny screen. Yeah. It makes no sense. I think I think humans just want to document shit so they feel like they're not losing it because they want to enjoy it more. You know what I mean? Or but because they want to prove to their friends or somehow be cooler because it's not real unless you stick it on social media. 
that's true. That's 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 a, that's a whole different perspective of what's real. Is if what's real is what people see, and that's not true oh. either. I think it's so scary. I had to. I I can't run the Instagram for Mutiny Radio. I, I don't. I can't do it because I cannot stare at everyone's idealized personifications of self. I am too weak as a yeah. person. I am. I d- am not strong enough to see that that's even though I know it's not real. I know yeah. it's not real. I know it's filters, but I just. I can't see everyone having such a great time and their life is so great and they're on so many shows and it's so amazing. Yeah. It's just like my – I just – I shrink, 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 shrink. And I don't want to be a person that – I don't want to have to feel real on that level and constantly be like, <gasps> look at me. Here I am. I'm yeah, out here. You want to be real to yourself. Are we right here? No, no. Let's take a picture with you. I mean you were there in actions, but it's not <laughs> real. Let's just put it on Instagram. Let's take a film right now. <laughs> we're take so it's real. Okay. <laughs> like all of that is just – it's too much. It's just too much. be real. Be real to yourself. Yeah. You know? Fucking authenticity. Like my thing that that pushed me over the same way. I, I go on Reddit and I go on Twitter now because they're less like I'm looking at other people. I'm just looking at like the news and just some funny photos. What got me off like Instagram, and Facebook, all these comics posting their shows of the month, dude. Yeah. The no f- one finds your shows through that. Like I don't. I. I. It's, it's just a flex. Such all a it flex. is is a flex. It's just a flex. And I, I know all that. these shows. Yeah, I know that, and I used to do that, mm-hmm. and I know it. And yet, still, I cannot compartmentalize that enough to not just make it, kind of make my day, not not make my day where it doesn't affect my day that bad, but see them and just be like, oh, what am I doing? Yeah. And that's what it's yeah. supposed to do. Yeah. Uh. But I don't find it motivating. I find not it motivating. depressing. Yeah. Like when I, I avoided being on Instagram with the station and people were finally like, okay, man, I know I've got to get a fucking inch. What, do you, mm. what are you doing? I'm like, okay, fine. And the first two months I got really depressed yeah. and I I started going to therapy <laughs> <laughs> and I attributed it to Instagram and everyone was like that's crazy that's great I'm like no this is like the only thing that's changed my life mm. is this new media platform that a I don't understand b I hate mm. and I d- and everyone's moving off of like I finally understood the algorithms I'm like Oh, it's always changing. Update, update. Uh, why does our life have to be constantly updated? Why can't we just – I mean, I'm using a phone that was a burner phone that I got for like yeah. 20 bucks, and I've been using it for three years. That's so the job. And like you always had a laptop anyways, and people use Facebook Messenger. So you can – if you have something that like um, my, when I was most comfortable was when I didn't have a phone, I just had a laptop so that I could only respond to texts and shit when I opened my laptop that mm-hmm. one time. It's kind of stressful a little bit, but it was better than always staring at my phone. What I do now is I have, uh, I have Do Not Disturb. So I'm bad about I'm really bad about text, but I'm never gonna fix that because that's that is how I prevent myself from just being right. Because if and if I see anything, I just I go right away to it. My attention span. And it's changing the the looking. I, I'll never get a cell phone. And people are like my even my dad has a cell phone and he's mm. in his seventies and I'm never getting one. And people are like you're crazy. Blah, blah, blah. But I I be Mahatma Gandhi. Be the change you want to see in the world. I don't yeah. like. I don't think that every fucking fool has goddamn computer in their pocket yeah i don't think we're good enough i think if we're giving i don't think we should champion mediocrity and when you give someone all the keys to the fucking castle without any what think you give them all a sense of entitlement everyone thinks they just deserve a computer in their pocket all the time and the wi-fi should be super fast and it's what about talking to people and what about not watching netflix on the bus or what about human connection what about human connection connection? i mean it's such a i mean in a way it is i lost my train of thought Wait, wait. Just the separation between us and computer, uh, tiny computers, poor computers. Yeah, I think that I think that also it 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 
when you take it for granted, you stop using it for the best things that it could be used for as well. Like, I'm a very curious person. My favorite thing is Wikipedia because I just love clicking through all these things. What would I do without the internet to do that, you know? But at the same time, I, I take up so much content that I'd never remember my ever again. And, like, it, it's, it's almost a cliche argument to say that you're wasting your life. But these boomers have a point to make. Because, <laughs> really, how much content do you remember from what you saw on Instagram last time? I know, not you. Thank yeah, God. Yeah. Good for you. Thanks. I, mean, I, I, I aspire to be that. But to everybody at home, how much – What do you remember the last tweet that you liked? Do you remember the last, like, Reddit post that you saved? No. Have you ever tried to bring up a Reddit post to someone else? It doesn't work. It's, doesn't, it's not cohesive to human connection. Like, Pam, did you right. see that video about the guy? Uh, he, like, he, he was, like, throwing a, he was, like, throwing a knife, right? And then he threw another knife, and they went, like, right through it. And he was at a Dave & Buster's. Do I never, oh, you never see that? Oh, well, I saw it. It was good. On, it was on Reddit. It was on Reddit. <laughs> well. Yeah, no, hey. The, well, the one, the one time we got pressed on that was the fight that was ruined, that international fight. I saw that. Yeah. Is, yeah. He, is that comic ever been back here? No. Um, not the, the, the one that punched. The one, one that, that punched, punched, he wow. apologized to me. Uh, a couple months ago in front of delirium and the one I was that got like punched? the one who punched oh, and punch. I was like you're apologizing to the wrong person yeah like you I'm you owe me 500 bucks for the window that you never gave me but I'm never gonna get that but I was like you're you're apologizing to the wrong person like uh, you got a punch but oh. the, the guy who got punched he also he never come back to comedy which is really sad he quit comedy he quit comedy how because of PTSD, man, he fucking got attacked on stage out of nowhere. If that and this, oh, this is crazy stuff. So this also happened to the other night, uh, Sunday night at um, Ireland's Thirty Two. There was a comic on stage, Max Eddy, local comic, very funny. Uh, goes up at the punchline all the time, up and coming, uh, redhead, Christy Dahl. He's um, does a lot of bi jokes. He's very funny bi hmm. jokes. And there was these two super drunk Irish guys in the bar. And they've been kind of heckling someone else. And so he got up and he starts doing a really shitty on-purpose Irish accent. And just oh, I, I heard about this. Yelling at him and doing stuff and I blah, blah, blah. And he's like – and he's, he's up there and he goes, I've never been punched. I've never been punched. And I'm like, why are you calling that <laughs> Call to action button, Matt Eddy, number one. <laughs> so this guy actually gets up out of his seat and rushes the stage. And Max just like cowers away, which Jeez. was great, which is what <laughs> I would do, which is what I would absolutely do, and I support his decision. I'm not going to fight anybody. <laughs> but the two big guys, Nathan Lowe, who's an enormous beast of a man, got up, and this other guy, Wolfie, was up there, and they made sure that these great. men were Everything. escorted out, and they were ADC. Fine. But <laughs> the point is that people feel entitled, and I've had it, a, seen it a couple times, to rush the stage. Who does that? What are, what's happening to our I social mores yeah. that they're just breaking down to such a point? What but happened but to but common courtesy? Looking at your phone in front of a person is not common courtesy. Oh, yeah. Yeah, no. It's just – it's fully ignoring. It's yeah. fully ignoring. It's just – it's totally isolationist. But, but but there's also an extent of, like, how well – the guy that punched the other comic. Mm-hmm. Wasn't just because, like, they, they said his name was Jeff or something? Right. Okay, so that, – That's not mental stability, though. Right. Exactly. He So he misinterpreted the entire goings on. In that, and it was funny because everyone has great sets back there. Mm. My buddy Andy Awansio was in from Seattle. Mm. She's amazing. Uh, there, were everyone had great sets. I had great. This one guy, this one guy Jeff, had was the only one who didn't have a good set. And it was such a hot room, and everybody was staying. And it was four to six in the afternoon. Uh. It was like five thirty in the afternoon. And so, the guy who put it all together was like, "I'm going to do a set." And we're like, "Of course." So he gets up there, and he has a funny name. And it's I've heard his joke a billion times. It's it's like. 
capital and the black is like his real name because no it's not real it's not and he has kind <laughs> of um the lilt to his voice is very urban mm. oh yeah I've, I've seen the oh you shows. okay so yeah. you saw all that like last week or whatever yeah so I think that Jeff being African American took some offense to capital truth even that he grew up in San Francisco that's how he talked all the time that's his truth it, it was almost like a reverse racism kind of thing mm. and then he just capital just picked a name out of the sky because he was like what your name's gonna be Jeff and you're just gonna be okay with that and he wasn't there was another guy in the uh, room named Jeff yeah and there he was, was the only one that had a bad set but the, yeah so this other guy the guy who had a bad set named Jeff had a bad Jeez, set stars but there, there was another guy in the room named Jeff he didn't have take offense to it but Capital just picked a name. He could have yeah, said Chad. But he it just happened said to be the wrong one. He just picked Jeff instead of Chris or Chad yeah. or, or Hayden or like any like super white guy name. Yeah. He just said, oh, your name's going to be Jeff and you're okay with that? And then the guy starts talking to his girlfriend. He's like, I know who I am. I know who I am. And then he asks him at one point, he's like, do you know who I am? And Capital goes, yeah, shut the fuck up. And he didn't say shut the fuck up. He goes, yeah, shut fuck, shut up. Something like that. And that's when he left up. So somehow, damn, you know that that he's not okay for that. Obviously, no. that's that's an instability thing that yeah. you're not. But but also that's just a crazy misunderstanding too, because that just heightened that. Because I could kind of see, I can't see advertising. I'm not justifying at all, but I can see being like, he's just calling. I just he's the only one who had a bad set, and this guy's like making fun of his bad set, really. But Jesus Christ, like, it's just a crazy misunderstanding. It's crazy. Oh it's my crazy, God. Crazy. I I hope I hope Capital comes back because. I hope he does too. Yeah, he was he was doing he was doing the work writing. Hey, pancake. Whoa. Have you met Aaron Atkins from Chicago yet? Oh, Aaron, Aaron Atkins, this is Pancake. <laughs> You're on oh. mic two. We're in a we're in a very special. Uh, some call me Tim. We just can't get philosophical and shit. Your hair's down. I don't know if I've ever seen you. Do I always see you with your hair down, and I just don't notice it? Uh, Pam. You need to stop smoking so much. <laughs> no, it's all I have left, Pancake. <laughs> I don't get alcohol. All I get is speed. I can't start doing heroin. <laughs> I don't like speed. I'm not going back to that. PCP's out of the question. <laughs> Molly's too strong these days. These kids with their... It's I also like fence. I took some of this Little Rock stuff one night at a comedy party, and I... It's so funny, because she gave me the cigarette. I'm like, how am I supposed to take this? My sister was like, yeah, like, what am I supposed to do? So I scratched a little bit off, and I'm like, it's this, this is a tiny bit, this won't be too much. And I was like, I used to, I do I put it in my mouth? This is too small to snort. So I put it in my mouth. I lost like four hours of my life. <laughs> I got so fucking high. I was like laying on the ground. Everyone's like, is she going to be okay? They call the ambulance. I'm like, no, people are like, no, 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 she's just really, really high. <laughs> I can't do any of the new kid drugs, 2CB, 2CD. I don't know what those things yeah. are. They're that was the desired effect. You just didn't know how to uh no it was too still much still enjoying it the whole i guarantee you you were having a good time oh i'm sure i was having a great time yeah but i but the bummer is when you do so much that you don't remember which is why i'm yeah. kind of excited about quitting alcohol is that not forever but i'm definitely not going to do it around comedy anymore because it's it hard. makes it what well, makes open mics so i used to be like i'll only drink at open mics i won't drink at shows and then when i did my face i broke that rule i d mm. i was drinking a lot and went to a show and i bombed which i don't usually embarrassing or terrible and I regret it so much mm. and it was because I was drinking and then I hurt myself and I regret bombing at the set and being drunk much more than than I did just hurting myself honestly the, mm. the set was the worst part of all of it that's what made me stop drinking 
was the bad comedy set. So then I've realized yeah. that, like, I've been doing open mics for nine years, and I've been wicked wasted at most of them. How much how much of my time was actually worthwhile? Like, I love being on stage, and that's, like, my whole juice know, and jazz. But if I'm not remembering what I'm doing, is it fucking worthwhile? Was True. it worth the time? True. And how much time have I been putting in, and is it effective time for what I've been doing? So now, True. you know, I don't know. I don't think I'm gonna drink anymore around alcohol. Yeah, you know, I I feel the same way, but that same mentality kind of like enables me to do like, like like microdose, like like a MDMA and shit like that, because it's like so I can enjoy this even more. Yeah. Because like, the opposite of forgetting is just having like the most amazing time. But I think you can microdose MDMA. You can, and it's great. What I did like three nights ago, I was just watching eyelid movies, and just <laughs> closing my eyes and just watching shit. It's weird. I'm not thinking at all, and yet I'm watching like an old West Town. I do the exact same. I old west town like a ferrari going down the street and shit just watching it with it's amazing see so that that same mentality enables me to be like this is good but let's make it way better right well and so and i like that except that with alcohol when i say let's make it way but i i get slower maybe mm. other drugs will make me not i've recognized now how fast my brain tags things Tags things? Like, when my brain thinks of one thing to another, like words in a sentence or mm. not saying um or ah or remembering all of my jokes or everybody's name from the festival, all of those things mm. exist, and my brain just like, zip, 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 zip. Like, I have barely been using lists, and I pretty much, everyone who's come through so far, I know their first and last name. Yeah, he's, he's got a good brain, I guess. He's got a good one. But, <laughs> I, but and I've just been <laughs> retarding it. <laughs> no, retard is a real word. It means to slow down. Retard. Uh, it's also okay. a musical term. To retard. To <laughs> you retard. can only say that when you're talking about fire or um, – no, Yeah, I that's about that's it. Fire no, retarded. <laughs> but I am. I'm retarding my own brain by using alcohol because I'm literally slowing it down. It's a depressant. I'm literally – and I've recognized that the next day I've been waking up like, bing, I'm awake. La, 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 my day is fine. La, la, la. And I used to be like, Coffee. I have to have the water before the coffee because I might throw up the water. Okay, here we go. That was cold. That's okay. Yeah. Let's go with the coffee now. We're fine. And then I just – and if I'm doing radio, I'm like, I can't. I can't do it. So I'm learning. Learning like – Worst part about drugs is how you feel when you're not on them. Yes! I mean, oh. day after. Did you made that? Is that a t-shirt? You should make that into a t-shirt. I should make that into a t-shirt. See, I, once again, I'm glad we got everything on tape because I didn't, I didn't rehearse that, but now it's on tape. Yeah. Now I got to write it down. Also, we had some crazy mind-blowing talk, to me at least, because like about fucking platonic chairs <laughs> tied into like we're too obsessed with our phones. You yeah. know, we got to get those classic, you know. Self-Golby um, Tim is all about like what people believe in or what makes them not kill themselves. I hate to, I hate to like – bill it as that but it's kind of like that it's like i want to ask people why are you alive why are you still alive <laughs> like whatever what's working in your binaural beats <laughs> playing and shit you really get into it i think it's, it's only it's a lot of the music